Hi, it's Shana here. Before this episode starts, I'm popping in with a quick reminder about our upcoming CEU on Thursday, May 16th on a person-centered approach to behavior management. School taught us a lot about ABA. However, the thing with ABA is that it's a science and it's constantly evolving. So a lot of what we learned back then doesn't always apply now. Today, we want to use a person-centered approach to behavior management, um, but what does that look like and how can our learners still make progress in this kind of approach? So join us live on Thursday, May 16th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time as Shira discusses how to use a person-centered approach to behavior management with your learners. This CEU is presented by our very own Shira Karpel. You can earn one learning CEU for ACE, QABA, or IBAO. Join us live at this event or to watch the recording asynchronously, go to howtoaba.com forward slash CEU. See you then. Hi, I'm Shira Karpow. And I'm Shana Gaunt, and we're board certified behavior analysts. At How to ABA, we provide practical resources, community, and support to ABA professionals. In each episode of our podcast, we will be having real conversations with real people sharing real stories about ABA. We'll share relevant strategies and actionable tips that will make us all better ABA practitioners. It's the ABA content you need that you're not going to learn in a textbook. Hi, everyone. Today, we are very excited to be talking with Brenda Eaton who is a BCBA mom and the creator of Grow Your Happy. So welcome, Brenda. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. We're happy to have you. Can you start by giving us a little bit of an introduction? How did you get into the field um, and a little bit of your background? Yeah, sure. So how did I get into it? I have a I have a, an adult son who's 27. He's on the autism spectrum with some other uh, things uh, that go with it. So uh, that kind of got me interested. I actually uh, had a previous career in the fashion industry <laughs> and lived in New York. And I got a master's in education at Temple. I moved back to Pennsylvania, got a master's at Temple in education. And then my son was diagnosed with autism. And um, I spent full time working with him, um, doing verbal behavior and all of that when he was little. Um, and once he went to school, I needed something to do. So I got a job in the field. So I worked in public education for 20 years uh, at an educational agency doing special education. I got my BCBA in 2010. And, you know, just supporting my son through the years, it came kind of came to me at one point that, um, there was some there there was more needed past uh, the the bcba the aba stuff just in regards to um you know life skills broadening broadening his expansion you know expanding his horizons and so forth as well as mine because of the kids i worked with so i started looking into acceptance commitment therapy also um positive psychology and just other realms that could broaden uh you know, our, our kids horizons and our futures. So, um, so I took an early retirement and now I'm doing my own thing and I'm, um, building where you're happy, which is to really help parents with, um, happiness, well-being and resilience because we need it. <laughs> So Grow Your Happy, such a great name for a business, but so not behavior analytic. Like, oh my goodness, we talk about emotions as a behavior analyst. What are you doing? I'm saying that tongue in cheek for sure. I know. And that's funny because that was kind of my turning point. It was my son had uh, uh, an FBA done and 
you know, the the internal event situation. I was reading over the report and she was saying he was scripting. I'm like, my son doesn't script. (laughs) So, so it was, it was more of a function of his anxiety that he was doing it. So it, it, it just came to light to me that, you know, it's so important, you know, as, as BCBAs, we have to know our, our wheelhouse and what our limits are and, you know, higher functioning kids get more complex. 40% of the kids have a co-occurring anxiety disorder. And so, you know, if you're not taking that into consideration and that's not your wheelhouse, uh, you know, you might want to be referring out to someone else. So when I saw that, I'm like, well, no, he doesn't script, (laughs) you know, he he may have when he was three, but he doesn't now. And, you know, so then the whole treatment plan, it just, it just, just wasn't, um, wasn't making sense. So to me, you know, those internal events that we pretend don't happen, you know, we need to consider those things as our kids get older. And if you want an FPA to work, and if you, you know, if you want to be successful in what you do. So, you know, I, I totally uh, understand, you know, it's very apprehensive to be talking about something that doesn't fall under ABA, but acceptance and commitment therapy takes that step in. And what I do with Gray, You're Happy really kind of connects through that door. So I'm not saying I'm practicing ABA through Grow Your Happy, but I do think there are elements of crossover that are safe and um, reasonable to follow that are published in in the research as far as acceptance, acceptance and commitment training. And again, just understand there's acceptance and commitment therapy. I'm not a psychologist and I can't do therapy, but I can do acceptance and commitment training, which is, you know, a tool for my tool belt as a BCBA, but, you know, it's also very well known in research for parents and helping parents deal with supporting their child and so forth. And, you know, if you support the parents to do better, the kids are going to do better because they're going to be able to support their kids. So... Absolutely. And, you know, Brian Iwata way back when, when he said, listen, there's four functions of behavior and here's what they are. I mean, that was amazing because that was a really great start in our field in terms of treating behavior from a function point of view versus topography. Um, But you're right. It doesn't go far enough because because there's so much more than just those four functions of behavior. And a lot of the times, like I'll tell you 20 years ago, you know, you'd go in and you'd say, okay, well, which category does this fit under? And you forget that, you know, not that you forget, but you know, these people are human beings. Like there's more to it than just this and this and this. It's like, well, what are you feeling? What emotions are going through you Mm -hmm. at this specific time? And yes, you can talk about setting events, but you're right. There is more to it. And I really love the fact that our field is getting into act and, you know, the, the emotions behind it and saying, okay, let's look at the anxiety and let's start dealing with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we tend to feel that maybe those emotions can't be measured, but, but they can, they, in a way they can, because they are internal events and what's, what's traumatic to me may not be traumatic to you. And, you know, our kids see things differently. They have their own um, lens through which they look through because of their own experience and so forth. So, you know, can you, you do a, a scale and if a child's maybe not verbal, but can recognize a happy face and unhappy face, and that's the only two things you need to have and they can point to it and it's reliable, you can do some data with that. So, you know, I, I think it's a matter of broadening our horizons a little bit um, and expanding our repertoire as well as the kids we work with. 
Mm, for sure. I think the longer I'm in the field, the more I realize that there's so much more than what meets the eye. Um, I always give the example to my staff of like that iceberg where like everything underneath is contributing so much more to the behavior, which is like the tip of the iceberg and right. really doing a disservice if we just focus on, you know, that little behavior that was just the tip of the iceberg. Right. Um, so I love that we're going into that field. And I love your suggestion of like, if you're not comfortable with it, then, you know, refer yeah. out or get training or do something because, you know, our field has to progress and move in that direction. And I think it's amazing. Right. Can we stop for a second. Who has a home phone anymore? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Trying to push through, you know? Yeah. Am I, am I doing okay? Am I too like not BCBA ish enough? Oh, no, this is great. great. Oh, okay. 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 We can go again. Okay. We're good. Okay. okay. I have to ask though, because, um, I imagine 27 years ago, there were not a lot of resources out there for parents, for ABA professionals. Like, how did you even like find what you were looking for? How did you get trained? Like, how did that happen? Well, <laughs> um, you know, I had a hard time getting a diagnosis for my son. Um, I kind of knew he had autism before he was three, and I was looking for someone to get that diagnosis. And finally, when I got it, it was it was um, mixed emotions. And I actually got it at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and they were big supporters of 40 hours of ABA at that time. So doing the low VOS and so on and so forth. So I, I'm a gung-ho parent. I am uh, the kind that I'm an overachiever. <laughs> so I went out and I did every training I could find and I um, did everything I could to get the information. Um, and my son had a 40 hour a week program, uh, Rutgers University consulted. They were the consultants. They came out and um, he was the poster child for success with, um, with the Ables. He was through it by the time he got to kindergarten. And I thought we had smooth sailing and that's when his learning disabilities um, hit. And then of course things got tougher. We spent all this time teaching him to talk and then he had to go in kindergarten and sit down and be quiet. So, <laughs> so we had other things we had to deal with. So, um, but for me, you know, once my son went to school and I started doing it professionally, I, you know, it, it, I just have such a passion for it. So I was able to, because I, I, my focus was autism and um, my title was autism network, network coordinator. So everything I could do was autism. So I was able to research best practices, bring them to where I work and, you know, participate in that, do that for my son. And every time my son threw, you know, something else at me um, because of, you know, maybe ADHD because of his learning disability or, you know, anxiety when he turned 17, I would just go research the heck out of it. Um, and I really, at the point of the viral behavior, um, we had brought those to our system. Um, just getting trained in the verbal behavior. And I'm like, I got to be a BCBA. So I was able to do that through work, fortunately. Um, and then, like I said, that pivotal moment, my son's kind of been my beacon <laughs> that, you know, I'm like, okay, we've got to look at something else here because they're not seeing the it, the internal piece because that's so important. So, so yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, I, I lived it, I work, work it and, you know, it's, it's just a passion. So Sounds like you're really a problem solver as like you encounter some sort of problem, you 
create a solution or you find a solution, which is really amazing. And you, I see, continue to do that with, you know, what you're doing now for parents and act and all of that. Um, what is like the most rewarding problem that you get to solve or part of what you get to do? Well, one of the key things for us as behavior analysts is um, increasing quality of life. I mean, that to me is the main reason we're doing it is the main reason why I do it. So when I'm able to see somebody say, you know what, I didn't think I could go to college. I'm getting tearful <laughs> when I, I think I couldn't go to college and I can, and now I believe I can. And I feel I had some part of um, helping them be able to see that. That to me is what's, what's most re rewarding. So seeing progress, little skills, you know, it all depends on who I'm working with, but any progress to me is always, always rewarding. And I like what you said about how, you know, as your son grew up, it kind of evolved into needing the independence and the life skills and being able to go to college. Like, is there something that, you know, someone who's a BCBA now who's working with little kids, you would say to them to like either do something differently or think about those things that they'll need to know about in the future that you kind of rolled with it as it got presented to you. But if we could anticipate those things as with our young kids, what could we do differently? Yes, I do have my wish book of what I would have had <laughs> back in those days. So, <laughs> so you know, I, I think what would make the most sense, the, the best way for me to talk about it would be um, because of what's in the education system um, is social-emotional learning. And social-emotional learning, uh, you know, it all taps into these kinds of things. So social emotional learning is a big push currently in education and being able to have the social skills, the, um, the emotional regulation piece. And I've done a lot of work in executive function. I wish I knew then what I know now about executive function. You know, the three core features of executive function are emotional regulation, cognitive flexibility, and um, working memory. So working on those three skills in some way, especially emotional, emotional regulation is key. You, 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 you can be able to pass a test, but if your anxiety it gets so high that you can't think straight and you can't pass a test, that's a problem. So kids that, you know, and just from my, this is Tony, totally anecdotal, um, based on, uh, I also was involved with a um, diagnostic program at, at where I worked, that those kids that have repetitive play and things like that tend to probably develop an anxiety type of thing as they get older. So that emotional regulation piece, really trying to help that. So, you know, um, even um, acceptance and commitment therapy talks about um, present moment and, you know, People hear mindfulness. Well, mindfulness is a lot of things. Mindfulness is like this. And present moment is really more specific. So being present in the moment and being able to self-regulate, I think, is one of the, the key things. And I know that's a big, a big, a big bucket for some of our kids. Um, but but teaching those skills and understanding that you know you have thoughts come in, you have mindsets, um, fixed mindset versus a growth mindset, and having kids understand. Well, you just don't have it yet. And all of the the um, the Dweck work and whatnot. So, you know, in between, a lot of times, you know, programs, they think it's got to just be ABA and work at the table. And then there's nothing outside of that. 
there's got to be other stuff to fill in the time. And what you can fill in that time with are these things from social emotional regulation that schools will also be mm-hmm. doing. So being able to support it at home. I, I totally agree with that. I think that sometimes we get, or as behavior analysts, we get caught up in like the discrete trials and like what's very observable. Um, where I work, we have a social skills curriculum. And for, you know, a couple of years, we were working on like, you know, interactive play and turn taking and sharing and things like that. And we've kind of pivoted towards an ACT model where we're in all of our classes at any age, we're working on um, a DNAV curriculum, which is even at the youngest age or the kids with, you know, limited verbal ability are working on present moment awareness and noticing their body and space and things like that. Because I think what's a little bit of what they call psychological flexibility, um, a lot of those skills, other skills are more teachable or they evolve or, you know, they can learn them um, more naturally. And I think, you know, as behavior analysts, we can work more on what those, some of those pivotal skills are to teach, like you say, the executive functions, um, things that are going to really change the trajectory of their lives, because as many skills as we can teach them, if they can't manage, you know, to like show those skills or be testable or get through school, like they're not going to matter as much. So yeah, I totally agree with that. Right. And I mean, the the idea of some of the discrete trials, some of the table work and so forth, it needs to be generalized. So these are great ways to be generalizing them. So, you know, the 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 way in which you do things can, um, you know, be integrated into other parts of your day. So I think about way back when, you know, 20, 25 years ago when we used to teach emotions. OK, show me happy. And then someone yeah. like to put a smile on their face. Okay, show me sad and you'd like cover your eyes. Yeah. Like, okay, well, there, there's got to be a different way or a better way to teach emotions because we need to teach our kids that happy doesn't just mean smiling. Right, right. And, you know, I, you know, for my son, that needed to be taught. That first, first being able to recognize all that stuff needed to be taught. But once they're able to do that, yes, then you need right. to, you know, generalization. Exactly. Right. You know. So once you get into those other elements, um, sorry, I'm not as fluid as I used to be um, <laughs> with that with that part of it. But um, yeah, that's that's when you want to be expanding into these other areas so that yeah, they understand um, not only identifying it in themselves, but you know somebody else uh, or a situation or you know watching um, uh, a video or or something and being able to talk about what's happening in a dynamic or something. So yeah, that's all very important. Absolutely. So Brenda, you're doing an upcoming CEU for us and I'm so excited. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure, sure. Yes. So um, acceptance and commitment training is what I'm going to be um, focusing on. So I'll talk a little bit about um, the difference between acceptance, commitment training and acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, If you're a psychologist, you can do the therapy part, the training, um, the BCBAs can have that as a tool for their tool belt. And I'll talk about how it works uh, and just kind of know the elements of it. Um, There's the hexaflex, which talks about the different elements. Um, And, you know, just to point out, you know, it it has values in it. It has present moment in it, um, acceptance. So, so really great things that kind of help, um, you know, the individual connect more with their thoughts and who they are and being able to expand what they want to do. So I'll break it down into pieces. Um, I do do want to say that if you're not comfortable with it, totally understand will be a good intro if you don't know anything about it. And if you want to um, learn more, which I would suggest, I wouldn't, I don't know that you'd want to run out and do it after my training, but you'd want to go, (laughs) 
you want to try to get some more training on it, um, that would be great. So yeah, my goal is to spread awareness about it, the usefulness of it and how it works. And I think even if you, for those of us who act is still very new to us, um, using it in ways, even if we're not comfortable using with our clients, like I did an act activity with my staff because, you know, in preparation for some of these social emotional learning things, we did a little act activity and it was really hard for them as adults to identify like their values, their priorities, like things that, that, you know, they're all of that stuff was hard for them. And so I think it's also a good activity for staff and also for parents, you know, you mentioned using it a lot in, you know, parent training and things like that. Can you give us like more examples of how, how it's used in those contexts? Sure. Sure. Because it's a value base, like for parents, you know, parents, you know, they, they have the role of loving their child and wanting to help their child. So sometimes they're not clear or they feel guilty, you know, or shame trying to remove some of those feelings and get them more focused into committed action for what they can do for their kid is really helpful. So being able to um, understand their values, think about what they want for their child and think about what um, things they may be um, fused to, like we may have a belief system that my kid, my kid's never going to go to college. And that was me. I, I, you know, the, you know, he went to a modified program, but he went to college and, um, you know, having those types of belief systems, understanding how you can work around things and have a clearer picture with set um, intention of what you want to do is, is really helpful for parents. And I think what ACT does is it puts it into like a context and it's kind of like, you know, the long game because sometimes yeah. parents come in and they want a quick fix and a solution and like, right. you know, fix this behavior or like get my child to do X or whatever, get my child to stop doing Y. Um, and without putting it into the context of like, well, you know, how are, how are we as a team, you know, parents and professionals and the child all together going to work towards your value, your child's value. And how does that, how does that change things? Um, how does it change, you know, how you approach behavior, how we're going to program for this. And I think it really does give you a different mindset. And it also brings parents into the partnership because it's right. it really depends what those goals are. Um, and it helps them, really move towards those goals. Cause otherwise it just, I think as a parent, sometimes yeah. it just feels like you're making it through the day and you can't think beyond yes. the day and you can't think exactly. about what's going to be in 10 years from now, but if we can help right. them yes. um, work backwards and use some of these act exercises to do that. then right. I think you can help them understand why, you know, giving the child that iPad in that moment may not be the best thing and trying to, as a parent, identify where am I in the present moment and what what kind of crutches am I using? Right. And and to help them, like you said, be more involved in a, in a part of it, not, not just as a contributing um, into the information of maybe a treatment plan, but actually, yes, justifying why they, why they need to pick up and be a part of and do and hand the iPad like, you know, at the right time. And, and yes, it just, you know, research shows that um, whenever the parents are involved in any programming, the, you know, the outcomes are, are much stronger. So like 80% 
is much, much better outcomes. So, and I've seen it firsthand, you know, I think we've all seen it firsthand. Yeah. Yeah. We can get a kid through the ables, but like, what are we really giving them at the end of, you know, let's say it takes them five years. Now we have an eight-year-old and like, what's the next five years going to look like? And what, what's valuable to the child is valuable to the parent. How do we incorporate that quality of life? You know, the happiness, the things that we don't necessarily get from the ables are so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we have in our audience a lot of like newly minted BCBAs, um, and we like to, you know, either share a really valuable resource that you want to offer or um, some advice that you would give over to someone who's just starting out in the field. Um, I would I would say follow your passion. Um, you, ha- you have to be passionate about it. If you're in the field and you've you've passed the exam and everything, and you're out there getting your training, so follow your passion. It's I think as I said earlier, you know, you've got to kind of, you, you know, the basics, but then kind of find your niche because there are so many areas that you can specialize in. So you can specialize in the map, you know, the ables in the map and the, or maybe you want to specialize in um, middle school or adolescence with anxiety. And, you know, so think about what you want to, you know, know, get your, your, your self grounded, uh, get your feet wet in what you're doing. And then, see what really draws you to what, um, what your passion is and really focus on that. So that then you're able to be, um, really helpful to people who need that. Yeah, that's amazing. I think it's easy to lose your passion also sometimes when it gets overwhelming. So having that as a reminder is, is really important. Um, Are there any resources maybe specifically on ACT that you love that you could recommend? Um, there are, um, books like on the Hexaflex, which are, um, really helpful. Um, I think also you can just go to Google Scholar and Google ACT and there's some good articles that, um, that explain, um, ACT, like the one I'm going to use to put my, my presentation together. So, So, yeah, so, you know, and I, and I, I kind of hesitate to recommend like, um, uh, there's always more new updated information and it's such a kind of new thing in um, in the field that uh, I think it's best to really kind of like go to Google Scholar and Google it and see what the most recent research is so that you're up to date with it and you know um, what best practice is. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone. Right. <laughs> exactly. Sure. Exactly. I think that's the most important advice. Um Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. We're really looking forward to your CEU webinar, which is going to be hosted in our membership community. And that's going to be on October 19th at 12, um, about ACT, um, acceptance and commitment training, things like that, which I know I think our audience will really benefit from. So we're really looking forward to that. And it's so exciting to hear your story and like the amazing things that you're doing and um, how you continue to just solve those problems as they come to you. So thank you for sharing. And thank you. In terms of our members getting in touch with you, uh, growyourhappy.co. Yep. Yeah, growyourhappy.co. You can also reach me at brenda at brendaeaton.life. Okay. And all of that will be in our show notes. So check Perfect. that out. Yes. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks so much, Brenda. Looking forward to seeing you on the 19th of October. Me too. Thanks for joining today's conversation. Wherever you get your podcast, please go and subscribe, rate and review so others can find out about us too. For more from How to ABA, including free resources and ABA materials, visit our blog at howtoaba.com and make sure that you're following us on social media for more practical tips and updates.